Welcome back to the panel on RNZ National. Susie Ferguson with you this afternoon in for Wallace Chapman. With me, Sue Kedgley and Nick Leggett today. We're going to be talking about the situation with paywave fees on FPOS machines. Uh, also, the Australian government uh, changing tack on that 501 deportees policy and also talking climate change after a British athlete uh, saying that they won't be competing in Australia because of the carbon footprint of air travel. Do text us as well, 2101 uh, in the studio here. Also, you can flick us an email, the panel at rnz.co.nz or on Twitter at the panel RNZ. Interested to know what you think about the situation with Auckland schools. They were going to be closed until next week. Now it seems that they can be open uh, from tomorrow. Uh, do let us know what that is going to do to your situation. Now, though, uh, nine minutes past four, uh, the government is extending the 25 cent petrol tax cut and half price public transport until the 30th of June. The road user discount will also be reintroduced and continue through until the end of that month. It is the fourth time the measure has been extended, first introduced in March last year, to help with the cost of living. Uh, Brad Olson, Principal Economist at Infometrics, with us on the panel on this one. Kia ora, Brad. Kia ora. Um, is this a good idea? Look, the extension of, of the uh, fuel excise duty uh, reduction that's on petrol is an extremely dumb economic policy. Uh, we know, looking through the figures, that it provides three times as much support to those on the highest incomes who don't need that support as much than the lowest incomes who need the support quite a lot more. Uh, you look through the other policies, the likes of the um, half-price public transport. Personally, mm. I've got no issues with that. Um, the government, of course, remember in December came up with its own reasons that it didn't think it should continue with any of, any of these. Probably the most important policy out today, though, in my mind, is that extension of the uh, road user charges reduction, because without it, you'd be seeing diesel price or, or the price that transport companies who use diesel trucks uh, would go up quite a bit. And of course, that means that everything from food to anything else moved around the country would get a lot more expensive. But I think we've got to be pretty serious here that New Zealand will now be spending over $2 billion over the last year to subsidise uh, fuel for those who, in a lot of regards, probably don't need that much support. It's not the greatest use of money in my mind. Now, Chris Epkin saying this is the government's first step in dealing with persistent cost pressures on businesses and families, not ruling out that that could be further extended. Um, I suppose there's, there's the pure economic side of this, but there's also the situation where this is sort of a temporary band-aid measure initially that it was introduced as that sort of seems to be becoming permanent policy here. Well, that's very much the worry. Now, when it was first introduced last year, we called it at the time and said there's no way that in a, in a few months, as the government had originally committed to it, that they'd get rid of it. And we were proven quite right. Now, to be fair, in December, uh, when we heard from the government, you know, who full-throatedly said from the finance minister, this is not a sustainable policy. We can't afford to keep spending on it. Mm. We put the government at face value. Now, they've, they've turned about. Important, though, Susie, is if you think about when it's going to come off in June, that's one month after the budget will have been announced and within four months of an election. And from a political point of view, mm. I find it very hard to believe that the government all of a sudden allows for fuel prices to jump nearly 30 cents a litre in, in four months out from an election. That, it does extension. worry me that we could be getting into a very expensive position. Indeed. Just hang in there with us, Brad. I'm going to come to the panel on this one. Sue Kedgley, what is your take on all of this? Because in some ways, you know, I suppose 
I would imagine you'll be supportive of the public transport situation. I'm very supportive. But what about the petrol? Well, I mean, you can see that this will be an incredibly popular move, you know, with our cost Mm. of living crisis. And it's obviously incredibly political because no government is going to go into an election with uh, petrol at um, $3 a litre. But you have to wonder when the only a couple of months ago, the Minister of Finance said it would be completely unsustainable for this Mm. to continue. So what's changed in a couple of months? And the other thing you have to say, well... You know, it completely contradicts our climate change policy because how are we going to halve our emissions within seven years, as we have committed to do, if we're going to keep subsidising petrol in this way? Mm. So... It, it does It does seem to be quite a, a situation, I suppose, that the Finance Minister and Prime Minister are, are in with this policy. Nick, your take on this, because... I mean, I can see that you will be supportive in some ways because obviously there is a huge cost to business here, particularly um, transporting freight and the like around the country. Well, just to answer Sue's question, what's changed? The Prime Minister, obviously. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that's it. And, and, and that's exactly it. So, look, I we supported the whole package. Um, what I would say, and I, I, I take the point both from a climate perspective and from the sort of purest economic uh, perspective that Brad's offered around the fuel excise, but fuel excise—it's a choice. It's a choice for the government to put that tax on or keep it off. And mm. we've we've had the the tax cut debate f- around. If we see this as a really direct way of the government being able to support families and businesses, I think it's it's probably more about families. Um, and this is this is their intervention. And so, from a political perspective, I think that's acceptable. Obviously, from a trucking industry perspective, we fought very hard for to get the government to listen on road user charges, and that was really around what Brad outlined, and that is. You, you, you touch the cost of everything when you increase the cost of transport. It doesn't. This is this is a short-term fix, though. It doesn't speak to climate. It doesn't speak to consumption or people's habits. This is about getting struggling families and businesses through the next few months. And I tell you, the other thing that's changed is inflation is still up there. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Brad, what is the the situation um, as far as fueling inflation by taking this off? Because then that leaves money, obviously, for people to be able to spend elsewhere. It does. I mean, uh, in our minds, there's probably a fairly marginal uh, effect there, given that inflation is already high, but and you're also seeing the Reserve Bank uh, continuing with its work to uh, try and bring inflation under control with those higher interest rates. Um, but I, I guess the worry is that it does kick the can down the road um, when it comes to sort of when that inflationary hit will come through. Because I think, importantly, uh, what road user charges, what uh, the fuel excise duty and similar does, is it actually pays for New Zealand's road system. So what it means mm-hmm. is that we're now putting over $2 billion on the credit card for future generations uh, to have to pay. And I guess the worry is, is if this becomes permanent, that means that there has to be a pretty substantial increase in the amount of general taxation that has to be used to subsidise this. And I just, I really do question if that's the, the best use of our money, because it either says that we won't spend as much on, on, on our roads, and given everyone's been talking about how bad the potholes are recently, That's that would seem to be a, a silly idea. Um, but at the same time, mm. you know, I really do think that there's more work that we need to do to figure out how we're going to pay for this, because it's a huge amount of money that surely we could find a better use for. $2.4 billion is not chump change. At a time when we need to try and recover from the Auckland flooding. Absolutely, and we were just talking before the news about the situation in 
Coromandel and the infrastructure there. Yeah. So rebuilding it's, roads. This is the with thing. With what? Well, with what? Indeed. Thank you very much, Brad Olson, uh, with us from Infometrics on the panel. 2101, interested to know your Fakaro on all of this uh, here on RNZ National, where it's now 17 minutes past four. Now, you might have noticed signs on FPOS machines about higher charges if you use PayWave or use a credit card. I might actually come to the panel on this um, first before we go any further. Is this something, Nick, that you've been noticing uh, while you've been out and about over the summer? Indeed it is. Uh, When you think about PayWave, you know, I'm lazy, so I just want to wave my card. And then you look at the fee, Hmm. you think, this adds up over time, this really eats into needlessly into your income. So I'm I'm really pleased to hear, I was pleased to hear about the legislation, but um, it's, got, it's got to be visible to consumers, and I'm not sure it is at the moment. I, I've, I've still been noticing those those big proportions of the, the purchase um, going to PayWave. Yeah, Sue, is this something that you use quite very, a bit? Well, I do use PayWave and very conscious that a lot of places, dairies and whatever, they say they're, but they actually normally say they're, Maybe in small print, there's a 2.5% mm. uh, yeah, A little sign stuff on the there's machine. There's a little sign. Yeah. Also, some just say we don't accept PayWave. Yeah. Some major ones like uh, More Wilson's that just say, no PayWave, thanks. So um, I found it fascinating that I didn't realise that the legislation had changed all of this, but, it's, but we consumers are not seeing the benefit. No. Mm, yeah, some businesses are seemingly failing to pass on these lower PayWave fees to customers. Is it their fault, though? Now, the retail payment system legislation came into place in November, limiting the payway fees to 0.2% or $0.05. Cents. This is the interchange fee between the banks and the card companies. Commerce Commission is going to be looking into it further as consumers are still seeing high surcharges at the till. And John Duffy, Chief Executive at Consumer New Zealand, is with us now. Kia ora, John. How's it going? Uh, going well, thank you. But um, from Consumer New Zealand's perspective, what are you wanting to see here? Well, we are worried, yes, that, that retailers are continuing to charge fees that are excessive and so are not, not passing the benefits of this legislation on to consumers. And when we say excessive, in our view, anything above 2.5% is, is excessive. So... We're really keen to hear from consumers who are who are seeing fees above that level, because mm. um, that information we can collect and then we can pass it on to the Commerce Commission because they need to know if this legislation is actually having the desired effect or not. Okay, so why is it that um, consumers are still seeing these high surcharges? Is it this? I mean, is this about actual fees that are being charged? Do we know, or is this about a lack of communication, or is this about businesses making a little bit of extra money? What it's about? It could be all, all three of those actually. So it, it could. So only one part of the total merchant service fee is, is regulated by the legislation, and that's the interchange fee. So that's effectively the what the banks charge for the, the infrastructure to process the, the, the payment. Mm-hmm. There's still the scheme fees. So there's still what what Visa and Mastercard charge that that makes up the broader charge that the merchant, i.e., the retailer, uh, is is um, encumbered with and in theory passes on to the consumer so so not all of the charge has been regulated um secondly there could be some retailers out there who yes quite cynically are going okay my my fees dropped but i'll just keep charging what i used to charge um and and make a little bit of money back 
Um, and it could be also that the, the information that's being passed on to consumers isn't clear enough to allow a kind of assessment of, of what the makeup of the charge mm. is. It so, is a quite a complex thing. Yeah, mm. it certainly sounds it. When this legislation changed, did you think that that would be the end of the problem? I suppose, are you surprised effectively that, that we're talking about this in February? Not really. It, it's only it's only been in place since November. We've gone through the you know the busy shopping season around December, and you know the Commerce Commission themselves has signalled by putting out guidance around how retailers should be interpreting the new legislation that they expect a transition period here as as you know the system gets used to the new rules. So it's not surprising that 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 we're not seeing an immediate impact, but over time we'd expect that to change and we'd expect the Commerce Commission to um, flex its muscles a bit um, as, you know, if it sees non-compliance um, on, on the retailer side. Mm. So is the legislation, is the Act actually working? And has it been communicated to businesses around New Zealand? Mm. Well, it certainly has. The Commerce Commission's uh, been quite proactive in, in getting information out there, and I'm sure they're partnering with the likes of Retail NZ and, and places like that to get the information out to um, to retailers. Also, I'd be very surprised if the banks weren't communicating this as well, because ultimately, you know, charges should be dropping. The, the, the charges that merchants are incurring should be dropping. So, you know, especially in times like this, merchants will be very conscious of, of how much they're paying per transaction, so they will have noticed it. Um, and all, you know, to answer the question around whether whether the legislation is actually working, it really is. It's too early to tell. And Nick, um, yeah, Nick. I think Nick's just got a wanting to jump in at this point. Oh, I've just got a question, John. Does the Commerce Commission have the resources to follow up and do something about those who aren't complying? Yes, I mean they've set up a whole new team dedicated to this legislation. So, um, so it should be an effective. There should, this should be an effective piece of legislation. It should it should work and do what it's supposed to do in terms of saving consumers um, those fees. We, we, we would hope so, but, but the Commission's standard approach when it gets new powers is to work with industry to inform them about what their obligations are, give them a period of time to get their act together, and then if they're still non-compliant, then to to swing in with more with enforcement action. So we're still in that get your act together phase. Um, and, you know, this is a new thing. Merchants need some time to get used to it, but we wouldn't want it to drag on for too much longer. And it's good to see the Commerce Commission and the government stepping into this space because it may only be 2.5, but on every transaction in a cost of living crisis, it all adds huge. up. But I just wondered, um, John, why do you think it's that somehow 2.5% is justifiable? How do you come up with that well, figure? Any, any, anything under 2.5% or anything yeah. over 2.5% is excessive. Um, look, it, we have to draw a line in the, in the sand somewhere, and there are still costs that the merchant, merchants are incurring, right? Mm. So as, as I said at the start, this is only one element of the overall charge that's being regulated. So um, while the charges that the, um, that the schemes, i.e. Visa and MasterCard, are, are living are commercially sensitive, you know, we know that they add up as well. Why is the line drawn... should be able to... Sorry, John, to interrupt, but why is the line drawn at the the 2.5% when the pay pay wave um, is so much lower? Well, because merchants... uh, Sorry, the merchant fee, the total merchant services fee, Mm. which includes these other scheme fees, 
both parts aren't regulated. So the schemes can charge what they want. And, you know, it, 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 the retailers shouldn't be blamed necessarily if they're passing those costs on. Um, you know, there is another question around whether those other components of the total fee should be regulated. And I'm sure the, the Commerce Commission will be keeping an eye on that because if, mm. if the, the small slice of regulation that's been uh, imposed here doesn't have the desired effect, it may be that it needs to go wider. Now, we did get in touch with various banks um, earlier on today, just in actually from ANZ. Um, I've got this, which is that ANZ's primary pricing model automatically passed through the interchange reductions to merchants when they came into effect in November last year. In the lead up to this, uh, the bank had been actively migrating merchants to this new pricing model so they could enjoy the benefits of reduced fees as soon as the law came into effect. Now, that is what ANZ um, have just got into me literally in the last few minutes on this. What does that tell you, John? Well, it tells me tells me that merchants will be well aware that this is happening, right? So if we if we look at that kind of cynical example where retailers are continuing to charge a higher fee even though they're getting charged less by the bank, well, it, it puts that conduct in a, in a slightly new light because they would have had, you know, a series of communications from their bank telling them that things are changing. I think it's good from the banks to be proactive. It's interesting to note that they were happy to pass through those savings um, when the, as soon as the law changed. There was actually nothing stopping them um, passing to those savings earlier. Um, so they, they, mm. they could have done that if they knew it was coming. But, yeah, because um, all of this is about a kind of a, a goal of increasing um, paywave use. Um, why is increasing paywave a good thing? Well, I, I think some of it has stemmed out of COVID, where mm. contactless payments um, mm. obviously were, were, were more desirable than, um, than non-contactless payments. Um, in, in a general sense, um, I guess there's, there's a whole lot of technology that, that hangs off um, credit card payments. So, you know, using your phone to make a, a payment mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff. And that may be seen as desirable, um, but it's only going to work if consumers aren't being gouged with, with fees. You know, if those transaction costs are too high, then actually it's not desirable to be increasing credit card transactions. So we really need this to work. Indeed. Thank you for your time. That is John Duffy, Chief Executive of Consumer New Zealand there. At 27 minutes past four now, we have Nick Leggett with us on the panel today. Also Sue Kedgley uh, with us. And uh, Auckland school principals have been told that the region's schools can reopen tomorrow if they want to. Of course, this is after the flooding. Um, The Education Ministry had ordered the schools to be shut until Tuesday next week in order to help minimise traffic while the flood damage was being repaired. Uh, RNZ, though, being told the directive being lifted, schools that want can reopen tomorrow uh, if that's uh, what they're wanting to do. Sue Kedgley, I'll come to you on this one. Um, This seems to be a bit of a flip-flop going on. Do you think this is a good thing? Is it helpful? Well, obviously, the flip-flop isn't helpful at all to parents trying to, you know, I mean, to try to find childcare at the last minute at the 11th hour I mean it just so it, it just affects so many people on the other hand I can understand why they took the call and there were so many roads were flooded today that it would have been difficult mm. to get many kids to school but how can you I mean at the very last minute how can you suddenly find childcare and does that mean that we've had thousands of children today sort of or I and I guess their parents sitting at home and then standing down your childcare if actually the school is going to open tomorrow Nick I mean this is the thing that um 
you know, a lot of parents will have thought, all right, well, if it's still, you know, okay, we've got Waitangi weekend in the midst of it all, but if I have to organise childcare till till Tuesday, I'll organise it till Tuesday rather than on a day-by-day basis. That didn't seem to be flagged that that could happen. I thought the seven-day announcement was... I I, I sort of reacted to that, thinking about our household that's Mm. desperate for children to... (laughs) After six weeks, <laughs> to 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 go yeah, to their uh, res- respective institutions, um, but uh, so uh, this, uh, but it, it is confusing, and I wondered if it was an overreach, and then there was a, a negative reaction to me mm. giving schools the choice to make those decisions themselves is the most sensible. But the getting to that point, I think, is as you say, I mean, it's it's going to leave people confused and perhaps committed to childcare that they now don't have to actually access. I guess the other side of that, though, is that it has been a really disrupted few years for all schools but especially for Auckland you know they've been hit with those extra lockdowns and online learning and that kind of thing and we were hearing yesterday on the panel um, from teachers I think it was the PPTA you know that that this kind of thing all of all adds to the uncertainty Mm -hmm. for particularly for students and and this could be a generation that are you know really impacted and their education is really impacted and, and you know people potentially leaving education because of this sort of uncertainty so I guess if they're able to go ahead kind of as normal, is that that's sort of a good silver lining to that, is there? Well, I do know that my step-grandchild, I mean, was just in tears, a number of them, when they heard this, because they were just, it's been a very long holiday, mm. and mm. they want to be back, meet their friends at school, mm. very distressing for them. I guess, on the other hand, with COVID, they can do online learning. But it's all this abruptness and, you know, so, and, uncertainty, it, and, and uncertainty, and they've been hit by, what did Grant Robertson say? It's the, the biggest non-earthquake event mm. that New Zealand's ever had. I mean, this this must, you know, on top of the other stresses that Auckland's had over the last three years, it must uh, be really uncertain times for many, many people there. Mm. Interesting to hear that kōrero. And do get in touch with us here at RNZ National. The panel, uh, 2101 to text us, also the panel at rnz.co.nz.